Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 12, The Holy Spirit's Curriculum, Part 1, The Judgment of the Holy Spirit. You have been told not to make error real, and the way to do this is very simple. If you want to believe in error, you would have to make it real because it is not true. But truth is real in its own right, and to believe in truth, you do not have to do anything. Understand that you do not respond to anything directly, but your interpretation of it. Your interpretation thus becomes the justification for the response. That is why analyzing the motives of others is hazardous to you. If you decide that someone is really trying to attack you or desert you or enslave you, you will respond as if he had actually done so, having made his error real to you. To interpret error is to give it power, and having done this, you will overlook truth. The analysis of ego motivation is very complicated, very obscuring, and never without your own ego involvement. The whole process represents a clear-cut attempt to demonstrate your own ability to understand what you perceive. This is shown by the fact that you react to your own interpretations as if they were correct. You may then control your reactions behaviorally, but not emotionally. This would obviously be a split or an attack on the integrity of your mind, pitting one level within it against another. There is but one interpretation of motivation that makes any sense. And because it is the Holy Spirit's judgment, it requires no effort at all on your part. Every loving thought is true. Everything else is an appeal for healing and help, regardless of the form it takes. Can anyone be justified in responding with anger to a brother's plea for help? No response can be appropriate except the willingness to give it to him, for this and only this is what he is asking for. Offer him anything else and you are assuming the right to attack his reality by interpreting it as you see fit. Perhaps the danger of this to your own mind is not yet fully apparent. If you believe that an appeal for help is something else, you will react to something else. Your response will therefore be inappropriate to reality as it is, but not to your own perception of it. There is nothing to prevent you from recognizing all calls for help as exactly what they are except your own imagined need to attack. It is only this that makes you willing to engage in endless battles with reality, in which you deny the reality of the need for healing by making it unreal. You would not do this except for your unwillingness to accept reality as it is, 
and which you therefore withhold from yourself. It is surely good advice to tell you not to judge what you do not understand. No one with a personal investment is a reliable witness, for truth to him has become what he wants it to be. If you are unwilling to perceive an appeal for help as what it is, it is because you are unwilling to give help and to receive it. To fail to recognize a call for help is to refuse help. Would you maintain that you do not need it? Yet this is what you are maintaining when you refuse to recognize a brother's appeal, for only by answering his appeal can you be helped. Deny him your help and you will not recognize God's answer to you. The Holy Spirit does not need your help in interpreting motivation, but you do need his. Only appreciation is an appropriate response to your brother. Gratitude is due him for both his loving thoughts and his appeals for help. For both are capable of bringing love into your awareness if you perceive them truly. And all of your sense of strain comes from your attempts not to do just this. How simple then is God's plan for salvation? There is but one response to reality, for reality evokes no conflict at all. There is but one teacher of reality who understands what it is. He does not change his mind about reality because reality does not change. Although your interpretations of reality are meaningless in your divided state, his remain consistently true. He gives them to you because they are for you. Do not attempt to help a brother in your way, for you cannot help yourself. But hear his call for the help of God, and you will recognize your own need for the Father. Your interpretations of your brother's needs are your interpretation of yours. By giving help, you are asking for it. And if you perceive but one need in yourself, you will be healed. For you will recognize God's answer as you want it to be. And if you want it in truth, it will be truly yours. Every appeal you answer in the name of Christ brings the remembrance of your Father closer to your awareness. For the sake of your need, then, hear every call for help as what it is, so God can answer you. By applying the Holy Spirit's interpretation of the reactions of others more and more consistently, you will gain an increasing awareness that his criteria are equally applicable to you. For to recognize fear is not enough to escape from it, although the recognition is necessary to demonstrate the need for escape. The Holy Spirit must still translate the fear into truth. If you were left with the fear, once you had recognized it, you would have taken a step away from reality, not towards it. 
Yet we have repeatedly emphasized the need to recognize fear and face it without disguise as a crucial step in the undoing of the ego. Consider how well the Holy Spirit's interpretation of the motives of others will serve you then. Having taught you to accept only loving thoughts in others and to regard everything else as an appeal for help, he has taught you that fear itself is an appeal for help. This is what recognizing fear really means. If you do not protect it, he will reinterpret it. That is the ultimate value in learning to perceive attack as a call for love. We have already learned that fear and attack are inevitably associated. If only attack produces fear, and if you see attack as the call for help that it is, the unreality of fear must dawn on you. For fear is a call for love, an unconscious recognition of what has been denied. Fear is a symptom of your own deep sense of loss. If when you perceive it in others, you learn to supply the loss, the basic cause of fear is removed. Thereby, you teach yourself that fear does not exist in you. The means for removing it is in yourself, and you have demonstrated this by giving it. Fear and love are the only emotions of which you are capable. One is false, for it was made out of denial, and denial depends on the belief in what is denied for its own existence. By interpreting fear correctly as a positive affirmation of the underlying belief it masks, you are de- you are undermining its perceived usefulness by rendering it useless. Defenses that do not work at all are automatically discarded. If you raise what fear conceals to clear-cut unequivocal predominance, fear becomes meaningless. You have denied its power to conceal love, which was its only purpose. The veil that you have drawn across the face of love has disappeared. If you would look upon love, which is the world's reality, how could you do better than to recognize in every defense against it the underlying appeal for it? And how could you do how could you better learn of its reality? than by answering the appeal for it by giving it. The Holy Spirit's interpretation of fear does dispel it, for the awareness of truth cannot be denied. Thus does the Holy Spirit replace fear with love and translate error into truth. And thus will you learn of him how to replace your dream of separation with the fact of unity. 
for the separation is only the denial of union and correctly interpreted attests to your eternal knowledge that union is true. Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 12, Part 2, The Way to Remember God. Miracles are merely the translation of denial into truth. If to love oneself is to heal oneself, those who are sick do not love themselves. Therefore, they are asking for the love that would heal them, but which they are denying to themselves. If they knew the truth about themselves, they could not be sick. The task of the miracle worker thus becomes to deny the denial of truth. The sick must heal themselves, for the truth is in them. Yet having obscured it, the light in another mind must shine into theirs because that light is theirs. The light in them shines as brightly regardless of the density of the fog that obscures it. If you give no power to the fog to obscure the light, it has none. For it has power only if the Son of God gives power to it. He must himself withdraw that power, remembering that all power is of God. You can remember this for all the sonship. Do not allow your brother not to remember, for his forgetfulness is yours, but your remembering is his, for God cannot be remembered alone. This is what you have forgotten. To perceive the healing of your brother as the healing of yourself is thus the way to remember God. For you forgot your brothers with him. And God's answer to your forgetting is but the way to remember. Perceive in sickness but another call for love, and offer your brother what he believes he cannot offer himself. Whatever the sickness, there is but one remedy. You will be made whole as you make whole, for to perceive in sickness the appeal for health is to recognize in hatred the call for love. And to give a brother what he really wants is to offer it unto yourself, for your father wills you to know your brother as yourself. Answer his call for love, and yours is answered. Healing is the love of Christ for his Father and for himself. Remember what was said about the frightening perceptions of little children, which terrify them because they do not understand them. If they ask for enlightenment and accept it, their fears vanish. But if they hide their nightmares, they will keep them. It is easy to help an uncertain child, for he recognizes that he does not understand what his perceptions mean, yet you believe that you do understand yours. Little child, you are hiding your head under the cover 
of the heavy blankets you have laid upon yourself. You are hiding your nightmares in the darkness of your own false certainty and refusing to open your eyes and look at them. Let us not save nightmares, for they are not fitting offerings for Christ, and so they are not fit gifts for you. Take off the covers and look at what you are afraid of. Only the anticipation will frighten you, for the reality of nothingness cannot be frightening. Let us not delay this, for your dream of hatred will not leave you without help, and help is here. Learn to be quiet in the midst of turmoil, for quietness is the end of strife, and this is the journey to peace. Look straight at every image that rises to delay you, for the goal is inevitable because it is eternal. The goal of love is but your right, and it belongs to you despite your dreams. You still want what God wills, and no nightmare can defeat a child of God in his purpose. For your purpose was given you by God, and you must accomplish it because it is his will. Awake and remember your purpose, for it is your will to do so. What has been accomplished for you must be yours. Do not let your hatred stand in the way of love, for nothing can withstand the love of Christ for his Father or his Father's love for him. A little while and you will see me, for I am not hidden because you are hiding. I will awaken you as surely as I awakened myself, for I awoke for you. In my resurrection is your release. Our mission is to escape from crucifixion, not from redemption. Trust in my help, for I did not walk alone, and I will walk with you as our Father walked with me. Do you not know that I walked with him in peace? And does not that mean that peace goes with us on the journey? There is no fear in perfect love. We will but be making perfect to you what is already perfect in you. You do not fear the unknown, but the known. You will not fail in your mission because I did not fail in mine. Give me but a little trust in the name of the complete trust I have in you, and we will easily accomplish the goal of perfection together. For perfection is and cannot be denied. To deny the denial of perfection is not so difficult as to deny truth, and what we can accomplish together will be believed when you see it as accomplished. You who have tried to banish love have not succeeded, but you who choose to banish fear must succeed. The Lord is with you, but you do but you know it not. 
yet your Redeemer liveth and abideth in you in the peace out of which he was created. Would you not exchange this awareness for the awareness of fear? When we have overcome fear, not by hiding it, not by minimizing it, and not by denying its full import in any way, this is what you will really see. You cannot lay aside the obstacles to real vision without looking upon them, for to lay aside means to judge against. If you will look, the Holy Spirit will judge, and he will judge truly. Yet he cannot shine away what you keep hidden, for you have not offered it to him, and he cannot take it from you. We are therefore embarking on an organized, well-structured, and carefully planned program aimed at learning how to offer to the Holy Spirit everything you do not want. He knows what to do with it. You do not understand how to use what he knows. Whatever is given him that is not of God is gone. Yet you must look at it yourself in perfect willingness, for otherwise his knowledge remains useless to you. Surely he will not fail to help you, since help is his only purpose. Do you not have greater reason for fearing the world as you perceive it than for looking at the cause of fear and letting it go forever? Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 12, Part 3, The Investment in Reality. I once asked you to sell all you have and give to the poor and follow me. This is what I meant. If you have no investment in anything in this world, you can teach the poor where their treasure is. The poor are merely those who have invested wrongly, and they are poor indeed. Because they are in need, it is given you to help them, since you are among them. Consider how perfectly your lesson would be learned if you were unwilling to share their poverty. For poverty is lack. And there is but one lack, since there is but one need. Suppose a brother insists on having you do something you think you do not want to do. His very insistence should tell you that he believes salvation lies in it. If you insist on refusing and experience a quick response of opposition, you are believing that your salvation lies in not doing it. You then are making the same mistake he is and are making his error real to both of you. Insistence means investment 
And what you invest in is always related to your notion of salvation. The question is always twofold. First, what is to be saved? And second, how can it be saved? Whenever you become angry with a brother, for whatever reason, you are believing that the ego is to be saved and to be saved by attack. If he attacks, you are agreeing with this belief. And if you attack, you are reinforcing it. Remember that those who attack are poor. Their poverty asks for gifts, not for further impoverishment. You who could help them are surely acting destructively if you accept their poverty as yours. If you had not invested as they had, it would never occur to you to overlook their need. Recognize what does not matter, and if your brothers ask you for something outrageous, do it because it does not matter. Refuse, and your opposition establishes that it does matter to you. It is only you, therefore, who have made the request outrageous, and every request of a brother is for you. Why would you insist in denying him? For to do so is to deny yourself and impoverish both. He is asking for salvation as you are. Poverty is of the ego and never of God. No outrageous requests can be made of one who recognizes what is valuable and wants to accept nothing else. Salvation is for the mind, and it is attained through peace. This is the only thing that can be saved and the only way to save it. Any response other than love arises from a confusion about the what and the how of salvation, and this is the only answer. Never lose sight of this and never allow yourself to believe, even for an instant, that there is another answer. For you will surely place yourself among the poor, who do not understand that they dwell in abundance and that salvation is come. To identify with the ego is to attack yourself and make yourself poor. That is why everyone who identifies with the ego feels deprived. What he experiences then is depression or anger because what he did was to exchange self-love for self-hate, making him afraid of himself. He does not realize this. Even if he is fully aware of anxiety, he does not perceive its source as his own ego identification, and he always tries to handle it by making some sort of insane arrangement with the world. He always perceives this world as outside himself, for this is crucial to his adjustment. He does not realize that he makes this world, for there is no world outside of him. If only the loving thoughts of God's Son are the world's reality, 
the real world must be in his mind. His insane thoughts, too, must be in his mind. But an internal conflict of this magnitude he cannot tolerate. A split mind is endangered, and the recognition that it encompasses completely opposed thoughts within itself is intolerable. Therefore, the mind projects a split, not the reality. Everything you perceive as the outside world is merely your attempt to maintain your ego identification, for everyone believes that identification is salvation. Yet consider what has happened, for thoughts do have consequences to the thinker. You have become at odds with the world as you perceive it, because you think it is antagonistic to you. This is a necessary consequence of what you have done. You have projected outward what is antagonistic to what is inward, and therefore you would have to perceive it this way. This is why you must realize that your hatred is in your mind and not outside it before you can get rid of it, and why you must get rid of it before you can perceive the world as it really is. I said before that God so loved the world that he gave it to his only begotten Son. God does love the real world and those who perceive its reality cannot see the world of death. For death is not of the real world, in which everything reflects the eternal. God gave you the real world in exchange for the one you made out of your split mind, and which is the symbol of death. For if you could really separate yourself from the mind of God, you would die. The world you perceive is a world of separation. Perhaps you are willing to accept even death to deny your father. Yet he would not have it so, and so it is not so. You still cannot will against him, and that is why you have no control over the world you made. It is not a world of will because it is governed by the desire to be unlike God, and this desire is not will. The world you made is therefore totally chaotic, governed by arbitrary and senseless laws, and without meaning of any kind. For it is made out of what you do not want, projected from your mind because you are afraid of it. Yet this world is only in the mind of its maker, along with his real salvation. Do not believe it is outside of yourself, for only by recognizing where it is will you gain control over it. For you do have control over your mind, since the mind is the mechanism of decision. If you will recognize that all the attack you perceive is in your own mind and nowhere else, you will at last have placed its source and where it begins, it must end. For in this same place also lies salvation. The altar of God where Christ abideth 
is there. You have defiled the altar, but not the world. Yet Christ has placed the atonement on the altar for you. Bring your perceptions of the world to this altar, for it is the altar to truth. There you will see your vision changed, and there you will learn to see truly. From this place, where God and his Son dwell in peace and where you are welcome, you will look out in peace and behold the world truly. Yet to find the place, you must relinquish your investment in the world as you project it, allowing the Holy Spirit to extend the real world to you from the altar of God. Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 12, Part 4, Seeking and Finding. The ego is certain that love is dangerous, and this is always its central teaching. It never puts it this way. On the contrary, everyone who believes that the ego is salvation seems to be intensely engaged in the search for love. Yet the ego, though encouraging the search for love very actively, makes one proviso, do not find it. It dictates then, can be summed up simply as seek and do not find. This is the one promise the ego holds out to you and the one promise it will keep. For the ego pursues its goal with fanatic insistence and its judgment, though severely impaired, is completely consistent. The search the ego undertakes is therefore bound to be defeated. And since it also teaches that it is your identification, its guidance leads you to a journey which must end in perceived self-defeat. For the ego cannot love, and in its frantic search for love, it is seeking what it is afraid to find. The search is inevitable because the ego is part of your mind and because of its source, the ego is not wholly split off or it could not be believed at all. For it is your mind that believes in it and gives existence to it. Yet it is also your mind that has the power to deny the ego's existence and you will surely do so when you realize exactly what the journey is on which the ego sets you. It is surely obvious that no one wants to find what one, what would utterly defeat him. Being unable to love, the ego would be totally inadequate in love's presence, for it could not respond at all then you would have to abandon the ego's guidance 
for it would be quite apparent that it had not taught you their response you need. The ego will therefore distort love and teach you that love really calls forth the responses the ego can teach. Follow its teaching then and you will search for love but will not recognize it. Do you realize that the ego must set you on a journey which cannot but lead to a sense of futility and depression? To seek and not to find is hardly joyous. Is this the promise you would keep? The Holy Spirit offers you another promise and one that will lead to joy. For his promise is always seek and you will find. And under his guidance, you cannot be defeated. His is the journey to accomplishment and the goal he sets before you, he will give you. For he will never deceive God's son whom he loves with the love of the father. You will undertake a journey because you are not at home in this world. And you will search for your home whether you realize where it is or not. If you believe it is outside you, the search will be futile for you will be seeking it where it is not. You do not remember how to look within for you do not believe your home is there. Yet, the Holy Spirit remembers it for you, and he will guide you to your home because that is his mission. As he fulfills his mission, he will teach you yours, for your mission is the same as his. By guiding your brother's home, you are but following him. Behold the guide your father gave you, that you might learn you have eternal life. For death is not your father's will, nor yours, and whatever is true is the will of the father. You pay no price for life, for that was given you, but you do pay a price for death, and a very heavy one. If death is your treasure you will sell everything else to purchase it and you will believe that you have purchased it because you have sold everything else yet you cannot sell the kingdom of heaven your inheritance can neither be bought nor sold there can be no disinherited parts of the sonship for god is whole and all his extensions are like him. The atonement is not the price of your wholeness, but it is the price of your awareness of your wholeness. For what you chose to sell had to be kept for you, since you could not buy it back. Yet you must invest in it, not with money, but with spirit. For spirit is will, And will is the price of the kingdom. Your inheritance awaits only the recognition that you have been redeemed. 
The Holy Spirit guides you into life eternal, but you must relinquish your investment in death, or you will not see life, though it is all around you. Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 12, Part 5, The Sane Curriculum. Only love is strong because it is undivided. The strong do not attack because they see no need to do so. Before the idea of attack can enter your mind, you must have perceived yourself as weak. Because you attacked yourself and believed that the attack was effective, you behold yourself as weakened. No longer perceiving yourself and your brothers as equal and regarding yourself as weaker, you attempt to equalize the situation you made. You use attack to do so because You believe that attack was successful in weakening you. That is why the recognition of your own invulnerability is so important to the restoration of your sanity. For if you accept your invulnerability, you are recognizing that attack has no effect. Although you have attacked yourself, you will be demonstrating that nothing really happened. Therefore, by attacking, you have done, you have not done anything. Once you realize this, you will no longer see any sense in attack, for it manifestly does not work and cannot protect you. Yet the recognition of your invulnerability has more than negative value. If your attacks on yourself have failed to weaken you, you are still strong. You therefore have no need to equalize the situation to establish your strength. You will never realize the utter uselessness of attack except by recognizing that your attack on yourself has no effects. For others do react to attack if they perceive it, and if you are trying to attack them, you will be unable to avoid interpreting this as reinforcement. The only place you can cancel out all reinforcement is in yourself. For you are always the first point of your attack, and if this has never been, it has no consequences. The Holy Spirit's love is your strength, for yours is divided and therefore not real. You cannot trust your own love when you attack it. You cannot learn of perfect love with a split mind because a split mind has made itself a poor learner. You try to make the separation eternal because you wanted to retain the characteristics of creation, but with your own content. Yet creation is not of you, 
and poor learners do need special teaching. You have learning handicaps in a very literal sense. There are areas in your learning skills that are so impaired that you can progress only under constant clear-cut provided by a teacher who can transcend your limited resources. He becomes your resource because of yourself you cannot learn. The learning situation in which you placed yourself is impossible. And in this situation, you clearly require a special teacher and a special curriculum. Poor learners are not good choices as teachers, either for themselves or for anyone else. They would hardly turn to them to establish the curriculum by which they can escape from their limitations. If they understood what is beyond them, they would not be handicapped. You do not know the meaning of love, and that is your handicap. Do not attempt to teach yourself what you do not understand, and do not try to set up curriculum goals where yours have clearly failed. Your learning goal has been not to learn, and this cannot lead to successful learning. You cannot transfer what you have not learned, and the impairment of the ability to generalize is a crucial learning failure. Would you ask those who have failed to learn what learning aids are for? They do not know. If they could interpret the aids correctly, they would have learned from them. I have said that the ego's rule is seek and do not find. Translated into curricular terms, this means try to learn but do not succeed. The results of this curriculum goal is obvious. Every legitimate teaching aid, every real instruction, and every sensible guide to learning will be misinterpreted since they are all for facilitating the learning this strange curriculum is against. If you are trying to learn how not to learn, and the aim of your teaching is to defeat itself, what can you expect but confusion? Such a curriculum does not make sense. This attempt at learning has so weakened your mind that you cannot love, for the curriculum you have chosen is against love and amounts to a course in how to attack yourself. A supplementary goal in this curriculum is learning how not to overcome the split that makes its primary aim believable. And you will not overcome the split in this curriculum, for all your learning will be on its behalf. Yet your mind speaks against your learning, as your learning speaks against your mind. And so you fight against all learning and succeed, for that is what you want. But perhaps you do not realize even yet that there is something you want to learn and that you can learn it because it is your choice to do so. 
You who have tried to learn what you do not want should take heart. For although the curriculum you set for you set yourself is depressing indeed. It is merely ridiculous if you look at it. Is it possible that the way to achieve a goal is not to attain it? Resign now as your own teacher. This resignation will not lead to depression. It is merely the result of an honest appraisal of what you have taught yourself and of the learning outcomes that have resulted. Under the proper learning conditions, which you can neither provide nor understand, you will become an excellent learner and an excellent teacher. But it is not so yet and will not be so until the whole learning situation as you have set it up is reversed. Your learning potential properly understood is limitless because it will lead you to God. You can teach the way to him and learn it if you follow the teacher who knows the way to him and understands his curriculum for learning it. The curriculum is totally unambiguous because the goal is not divided and the means and the end are in complete accord. You need offer only undivided attention. Everything else will be given you. For you really want to learn aright, and nothing can oppose the decision of God's Son. His learning is as unlimited as He is. Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 12, Part 6, The Vision of Christ. The ego is trying to teach you how to gain the whole world and lose your own soul. The Holy Spirit teaches that you cannot lose your soul and there is no gain in the world, for of itself it profits nothing. To invest without profit is surely to impoverish yourself, and the overhead is high. Not only is there no profit in the investment, but the cost to you is enormous. For this investment costs you the world's reality by denying yours and gives you nothing in return. You cannot sell your soul but you can sell your awareness of it. You cannot perceive your soul, but you will not know it while you perceive something else as more valuable. The Holy Spirit is your strength because he knows nothing but the Spirit as you. He is perfectly aware that you do not know yourself and perfectly aware of how to teach you to remember what you are. Because he loves you, he will gladly teach you what he loves, for he wills to share it. Remembering you always, 
He cannot let you forget your worth. For the father never ceases to remind him of his son, and he never ceases to remind his son of the father. God is in your memory because of him. You chose to forget your father, but you do not really want to do so, and therefore you can decide otherwise. As it was my decision, so is it yours. You do not want the world. The only thing of value in it is whatever part of it you look upon with love. This gives it the only reality it will ever have. Its value is not in itself, but yours is in you. As self-value comes from self-extension, so does the perception of self-value come from the extension of loving thoughts outward. Make the world real onto yourself, for the real world is the gift of the Holy Spirit, and so it belongs to you. Correction is for all who cannot see. To open the eyes of the blind is the Holy Spirit's mission, for he knows that they have not lost their vision, but merely sleep. He would awaken them from the sleep of forgetting to the remembering of God. Christ's eyes are open, and he will look upon whatever you see with love if you accept his vision as yours. The Holy Spirit keeps the vision of Christ for every son of God who sleeps. In his sight, the Son of God is perfect, and he longs to share his vision with you. He will show you the real world because God gave you heaven. Through him, your Father calls his Son to remember. The awakening of his son begins with his investment in the real world, and by this he will learn to reinvest in himself. For reality is one with the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit blesses the real world in their name. When you have seen this real world, as you will surely do, you will remember us. Yet you must learn the cost of sleeping and refuse to pay it. Only then will you decide to awaken, and then the real world will spring to your sight, for Christ has never slept. He is waiting to be seen, for he has never lost sight of you. He looks quietly on the real world, which he would share with you because he knows of the Father's love for him. And knowing this, he would give you what is yours. In perfect peace, he waits for you at his Father's altar, holding out the Father's love to you in the quiet light of the Holy Spirit's blessing. For the Holy Spirit will lead everyone home to his Father, where Christ waits as his self. Every child of God is one in Christ, for his being is in Christ as Christ's is in God. 
Christ's love for you is his love for his father, which he knows because he knows his father's love for him. When the Holy Spirit has at last led you to Christ at the altar to his father, perception fuses into knowledge because perception has become so holy that its transfer to holiness is merely its natural extension. Love transfers to love without any interference, for the two are one. As you perceive more and more common elements in all situations, the transfer of training under the Holy Spirit's guidance increases and becomes generalized. Gradually, you learn to apply it to everyone and everything, for its applicability is universal. When this has been accomplished, perception and knowledge have become so similar that they share the unification of the laws of God. What is one cannot be perceived as separate, and the denial of the separation is the reinstatement of knowledge. At the altar of God, the holy perception of God's Son becomes so enlightened that light streams into it, and the Spirit of God's Son shines in the mind of the Father and becomes one with it. Very gently does God shine upon himself, loving the extension of himself that is his Son. The world has no purpose as it blends into the purpose of God, for the real world has slipped quietly into heaven, where everything eternal in it has always been. There the Redeemer and the redeemed join in perfect love of God and of each other. Heaven is your home, and being in God, it must also be in you. Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 12, Part 7, Looking Within. Miracles demonstrate that learning has occurred under the right guidance. For learning is invisible, and what has been learned can be recognized only by its results. Its generalization is demonstrated as you use it in more and more situations. You will recognize that you have learned there is no order of difficulty in miracles when you apply them to all situations. There is no situation to which miracles do not apply, and by applying them to all situations, you will gain the real world. For in this holy perception, you will be made whole, and the atonement will radiate from your acceptance of it for yourself to everyone the Holy Spirit sends you for your blessing. In every child of God, his blessing lies, and in your blessing of the children of God is his blessing to you.
everyone in the world must play his part in its redemption in order to recognize that the world has been redeemed. You cannot see the invisible. Yet, if you see its effects, you know it must be there. By perceiving what it does, you recognize its being, and by what it does, you learn what it is. You cannot see your strengths, but you gain confidence in their existence as they enable you to act. And the results of your actions, you can see. The Holy Spirit is invisible, but you can see the results of his presence, and through them, you will learn that he is there. What he enables you to do is clearly not of this world, for miracles violate every law of reality as this world judges it. Every law of time and space of magnitude and mass is transcended for what the holy spirit enables you to do is clearly beyond all of them perceiving his results you will understand where he must be and finally know what he is you cannot see the holy spirit but you can see his manifestations And unless you do, you will not realize he is there. Miracles are his witnesses and speak for his presence. What you cannot see becomes real to you only through the witnesses that speak for it. For you can be aware of what you cannot see, and it can become compellingly real to you as its presence becomes manifest through you. Do the Holy Spirit's work, for you share in his function. As your function in heaven is creation, so your function on earth is healing. God shares his function with you in heaven, and the Holy Spirit shares his with you on earth. As long as you believe you have other functions, so long will you need correction. For this belief is the destruction of peace, a goal in direct opposition to the Holy Spirit's purpose. You see what you expect and you expect what you invite. Your perception is the result of your invitation coming to you as you sent for it. Whose manifestations would you see? Of whose presence would you be convinced? For you will believe in what you manifest, and as you look out, so will you see in. Two ways of looking at the world are in your mind, and your perception will reflect the guidance you have chosen. I am the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, and when you see me, it will be because you have invited him. For he will send you his witnesses, if you will but look upon them. 
Remember always that you see what you seek. For what you seek, you will find. The ego finds what it seeks and only that. It does not find love, for that is not what it is seeking. Yet seeking and finding are the same, and if you seek for two goals, you will find them, but you will recognize neither. You will think they are the same because you want both of them. The mind always strives for integration, and if it is split and wants to keep the split, it will still believe it has one goal by making it seem to be one. I said before that what you project or extend is up to you, but you must do one or the other, for that is a law of mind, and you must look in before you look out. As you look in, you choose the guide for seeing, and then you look out and behold his witnesses. This is why you find what you seek. What you want in yourself, you will make manifest, and you will accept it from the world because you put it there by wanting it. When you think you are projecting what you do not want, it is still because you do want it. This leads directly to dissociation, for it represents the acceptance of two goals each perceived in a different place, separated from each other because you made them different. The mind then sees a divided world outside itself, but not within. This gives it an illusion of integrity and enables it to believe that it is pursuing one goal. Yet as long as you perceive the world as split, you are not healed. To be, for to be healed is to pursue one goal because you have accepted only one and want but one. When you want only love, you will see nothing else. The contradictory nature of the witnesses you perceive is merely the reflection of your conflicting invitations. You have looked upon your mind and accepted opposition there, having sought it there. But do not then believe that the witnesses for opposition are true, for they attest only to your decision about reality returning to you the messages you gave them. Love, too, is recognized by its messengers. If you make love manifest, its messengers will come to you because you invited them. The power of decision is your one remaining freedom as a prisoner of this world. You can decide to see it right. What you made of it is not its reality, for its reality is only what you give it. 
you cannot really give anything but love to anyone or anything, nor can you really receive anything but love from them. If you think you have received anything else, it is because you have looked within and thought you saw the power to give something else within yourself. It was only this decision that determined what you found, for it was the decision for what you sought. You are afraid of me because you looked within and are afraid of what you saw. Yet, you could not have seen reality, for the reality of your mind is the loveliest of God's creations. Coming only from God, its power and grandeur could only bring you peace if you really looked upon it. If you are afraid, it is because you saw something that is not there. Yet in that same place you could have looked upon me and all your brothers in the perfect safety of the mind which created us. For we are there in the peace of the Father who wills to extend his peace through you. When you have accepted your mission to extend peace, you will find peace. For by making it manifest, you will see it. Its holy witnesses will surround you because you called upon them, and they will come to you. I have heard your call, and I have answered it. But you will not look upon me nor hear the answer that you sought. That is because you do not yet want only that. Yet as I become more real to you, you will learn that you do want only that, and you will see me as you look within, and we will look upon the real world together. Through the eyes of Christ, only the real world exists, and only the real world can be seen. As you decide, so will you see and all that you see but witnesses to your decision. When you look within and see me, it will be because you have decided to manifest truth. And as you manifest it, you will see it both without and within. You will see it without because you saw it first within. Everything you behold without is a judgment of what you held beheld within. If it is your judgment, it will be wrong, for judgment is not your function. If it is the judgment of the Holy Spirit, it will be right, for judgment is his function. You share his function only by judging as he does, reserving no judgment at all for yourself. You will judge against yourself, but he will judge for you. Remember then that whenever you look without and react unfavorably to what you see, you have judged yourself unworthy and have condemned yourself to death. The death penalty is the ego's ultimate goal, for it fully believes that you are a criminal 
as deserving of death as God knows you are deserving of life. The death penalty never leaves the ego's mind, for that is what it always reserves for you in the end. Wanting to kill you as the final expression of its feeling for you, it lets you live but to await death. It will torment you while you live, but its hatred is not satisfied until you die. For your destruction is the one end toward which it works and the only end with which it will be satisfied. The ego is not a traitor to God to whom treachery is impossible. But it is a traitor to you who believe that you have been treacherous to your father. That is why the undoing of guilt is an essential part of the Holy Spirit's teaching. For as long as you feel guilty, you are listening to the voice of the ego, which tells you that you have been treacherous to God and therefore deserve death. You will think that death comes from God and not from the ego because by confusing yourself with the ego, you believe that you want death and from what you want, God does not save you. When you are tempted to yield to the desire for death, remember that I did not die. You will realize that this is true when you look within and see me. Would I have overcome death for myself alone? And would eternal life have been given me of the Father unless he had also given it to you? When you learn to make me manifest, you will never see death. For you will have looked upon the deathless in yourself, and you will see only the eternal as you look out upon a world that cannot die. Welcome to the reading, A Course in Miracles, Chapter 12, Part 8. The Attraction of Love for Love Do you really believe that you can kill the Son of God? The Father has hidden his Son safely within him and kept him far away from your destructive thoughts, but you know neither the Father nor the Son because of them. You attack the real world every day and every hour and every minute and yet you are surprised that you cannot see it. If you seek love in order to attack it, you will never find it. For if love is sharing, how can you find it except through itself? Offer it and it will come to you because it is drawn to itself. But offer attack and love will remain hidden for it can live only in peace. God's son is as safe as his father, for the son knows his father's protection and cannot fear. 
His father's love holds him in perfect peace and needs nothing. And needing nothing, he asks for nothing. Yet he is far from you whose self he is, for you chose to attack him, and he disappeared from your sight into his father. He did not change, but you did. For a split mind and all its works were not created by the father and could not live in the knowledge of him. When you made visible what is not true, what is true became invisible to you. Yet it cannot be invisible in itself, for the Holy Spirit sees it with perfect clarity. It is invisible to you because you are looking at something else. Yet it is no more up to you to decide what is visible and what is invisible than it is up to you to decide what reality is. What can be seen is what the Holy Spirit sees. The definition of reality is God's, not yours. He created it and he knows what it is. You who knew have forgotten. And unless he had given you a way to remember, you would have condemned yourself to oblivion. Because of your father's love, you can never forget him, for no one can forget what God himself placed in his memory. You can deny it, but you cannot lose it. A voice will answer every question you ask, and a vision will correct the perception of everything you see. For what you have made invisible is the only truth, and what you have not heard is the only answer. God would reunite you with yourself and did not abandon you in your distress. You are waiting only for him and do not know it. Yet his memory shines in your mind and cannot be obliterated. It is no more past than future, being forever always. You have but to ask for this memory, and you will remember. Yet the memory of God cannot shine in a mind that has obliterated it and wants to keep it so. For the memory of God can dawn only in a mind that chooses to remember and that has relinquished the insane desire to control reality. You who cannot even control yourself should hardly aspire to control the universe. But look upon what you have made of it and rejoice that it is not so. Son of God, be not content with nothing. What is not real cannot be seen and has no value. God could not offer his son what has no value, nor could his son receive it. You were redeemed the instant you thought you had deserted him. Everything you made has never been and is invisible because the Holy Spirit does not see it. Yet what he does see is yours to behold, and through his vision your perception is healed. 
You have made invisible the only truth that this world holds. Valuing nothing, you have sought nothing. By making nothing real to you, you have seen it. But it is not there. And Christ is invisible to you because of what you have made visible to yourself. Yet it does not matter how much distance you have tried to interpose between your awareness and truth. God's Son can be seen because his vision is shared. The Holy Spirit looks upon him and sees nothing else in you. What is invisible to you is perfect in his sight and encompasses all of it. He has remembered you because he forgot not the Father. You looked upon the unreal and found despair. Yet by seeking the unreal, what else could you find? The unreal world is a thing of despair, for it can never be. And you who share God's being with him could never be content without reality. What God did not give you has no power over you, and the attraction of love for love remains irresistible. For it is the function of love to unite all things onto itself and to hold all things together by extending its wholeness. The real world was given you by God in loving exchange for the world you made and the world you see. Only take it from the hand of Christ and look upon it. Its reality will make everything else invisible, for beholding it is total perception. And as you look upon it, you will remember that it was always so. Nothingness will become invisible, for you will at last have seen truly. Redeemed perception is easily translated into knowledge, for only perception is capable of error, and perception has never been. Being corrected, it gives place to knowledge, which is forever the only reality. The atonement is but the way back to what was never lost. Your father could not cease to love his son.